We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 509. All right, Scott, so since since we recorded last, DJ LeMay, he, the deal was was uh, in the works. I don't know if it's signed yet, but it's in the works. And uh, just like 10 hours later or something, the Kluber, the Kluber news was announced. It was a busy Friday for the Yankees. Yeah, a lot of things happening. They, they addressed the pitcher. They got their guy and DJ LeMay, who, thank God. Um, I should say they, they almost, they kind of addressed their pitching, right? Like, Kind no, of addressed I, this it. Is, no, it's like a little bit. This is this is uh this is something we said like if Troy Tulowitzki Kluber, I did call him. He's potentially the Troy Tulowitzki of of pitchers this year, and I think that's a fair analysis of Corey Kluber. <laughs> I don't think this this gives me no more confidence right. than where the Yankees stood before. Could Kluber turn into a, a really solid number two? Sure, yeah, he could. 2018, the last year he was fully healthy, he was fantastic. I think he finished fourth in Cy Young voting. 
But if he pitches like nine starts and then is shut down for the year, is anyone going to be surprised? No, that's the problem here is that we don't know what we're getting. I know that they saw they're 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 good with the medicals. They have an inside track with Cressy. Uh, you know, you'd assume and in, in in what they've seen on a day to day, I'm sure that they've you know done the the CSI on uh, on Corey Kluber, much like they did with Tanaka's elbow, and figuring out exactly what's happening there. And again, the the Cressy connection. Obviously, I think gives them some inside information about what's happening and how the development's been and how he's, you know, repped up to when he did this showcase. So they obviously feel good about it. And, and they gave him a not a small contract. It's an $11 million contract, which now gives us practically no flexibility up against the luxury tax deadline that have you know, 97 people have 97 different answers for what the actual it's infuriating. number infuriating, first yeah. of all. I hate that we as fans talk about luxury tax so much. Like this is not something as a fan you should really be concerned about. But right. here we are as Yankees fans, we're concerned about it. And yeah, there's like differing information out there. Do the Yankees have 5 million, 10 million, 15 million to work with? I, I'm like 99.9% <clears throat> sure they have just under $5 million to work with in the luxury tax because player benefits and minor league salaries count towards the tax total tax payroll and the Yankees 40 man tax payroll as we stand here today on after the after the updated arbitration numbers because that's they were disclosed we now know what they are whereas a week ago we didn't know we were guessing using projections correct it was just projections so the updated is 187.146 million then the benefits is estimated at 15.5 million and minor league salaries which is everyone on the 40 man roster who's not on the 26 man roster is 2.5 million which comes out to 205.146 million which is 4.853 million under the tax threshold though it's a lot of numbers i just threw at you the real bottom line here is whether it's 4.8 5.3 6.5 it's not a ton of room to work with no, it's not. So Corey Kluber, while he's a great name and and the potential is is maybe there. I mean, when when you're looking at a guy who's coming off of the shoulder injury, he pitched one inning, or it one. happened in the first inning for the uh, Texas. You're you're certainly playing with with fire there, and you you don't know the depth you're going to get. You don't know. I mean, he's not going to be the Corey Kluber that he was when he won the side. He's not going to be that guy. He's, do you think they do? That's what I think even some people are expecting. Inning guy? No, there's not even they a chance in hell about that. Innings. Right. So that's my point. Like, what are we doing here? We're, we're expecting, everybody's expecting potential peak Kluber, but that's not even really on the table. If, if Corey Kluber makes 27 starts to a 4.27 ERA, do you think the Yankees would be happy with that signing? Say it one more time, the, the amount of number? 27 starts, Yeah, 4.27 ERA. I hope not. I really hope not because that's that's not what, that's not a good signing. That's not what I would expect. That's not what we want. That's You don't not think even that's re- realistic? 4.27, that's a I don't want to. That, that's that, slightly that, above league average. That's a 104 ERA plus, which is basically league average. The reason I use those numbers is because that's what Masahiro Tanaka has given you the last two seasons. What I'm telling you is I think a realistic expectation for Corey Kluber is what Masahiro Tanaka has been the last two years. It's That's very fair because they made a decision. It seems like they made a decision and it was either going with Tanaka going with Kluber, and they chose Kluber. They chose the upside of Kluber. They know what the yeah. upside of Tanaka is. He has is. more upside. He Kluber Theoretic, has more theoretically, upside Theoretically, he has Tanaka. more upside. Yes, theoretically, he has more upside. If he can Don't throw harder he also than 90 a- miles per hour, 87 miles per hour, or whatever he was showing in his thing, and I know it's January, 
But yeah, I mean, it's a theoretic upside because of what we've seen. You know what? I, I've seen that from Tanaka too. I've seen Tanaka be g- g- dominant for, for, for times. Not Kluber dominant, but I've seen it. There's potential there. This is when we're talking about old men, potential has a different ring to it. It's not, it's not the toolsy type of potential guy that I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking at a 35, 36-year-old Corey Kluber starting the season with limited potential coming off of a major soldier, shoulder injury. Well, I think Kluber, while he has more upside than Tanaka, he has more downside, I think, as well. I think Tanaka, you can basically bucket him into like a, a just below or just below above league average next year. Whereas Kluber could be really good, but he could also be really bad or he could just also not pitch. Yeah, he could be a non-factor, which which is a real possibility. This, it really so is. What we're saying is this move does not really help it doesn't solidify do much. the Yankees' it's, rotation. No, it, not going into the season. So, so yes, it could, while the, the player has, again, the ability to be good. It doesn't do anything for preparation or expectations, for in my opinion, because you have to prepare like he's not there almost. You still have to prepare like that. Well, he he's you got to prepare like whatever you get out of him is kind of... It's like it's like up, or are they looking at his physicals and identifying what they are and expecting him to be there all year and just maybe at a different level as the year? I, I saw some some guys talking about when just before he had his showcase was you might get a three four in the rotation Corey Kluber in you know uh, in May June but. You might get a number one in August, September as he ramps up and continues to That's get. the dream. That's the ideal scenario for the Yankees is that they let him work his way up throughout the season and then he's pitching his best in the second half of the season into, into the playoffs. That's an ideal scenario, but that's a really hard thing to bank on. So that's what we're looking at then is going to be load management essentially in the beginning of the season for Corey Kluber. If you will, I mean, they're gonna they're not going to press him early. Right, they're not going to. They're not going to. They're going to keep him within a a constraint, whether it's innings or number of pitches or Corey. You just give us the nod when when you leave. Whatever it is, it's going to be in the range of five innings. No, it's going to be a five inning start. Yeah, which is what Tanaka was. Exactly. So they're going to be ramping this up, potentially using kids unless we have a trade that comes in. Potentially using kids to fill in. Maybe he gets a, a start skipped here and there. You know, like we're going to be dealing with this probably for the first three months of the season, if not more. Why do you think they chose to pay the $11 million to Kluber versus close to that to Tanaka? Or what about or, going a different direction, other less than that for Paxton? You, you, could, you could go down a different uh, sure. rabbit hole because Paxton, you could, you, could, you could argue that Paxton gives you a similar upside to what Corey Kluber is right now at 36 years old. Because again, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that Corey Kluber um, is the Cy Young Corey Kluber. And so people need to get that out of their brains until I see it, until we see it, because it's not there. Well, I'm also just done with James Paxton. So if given the chance, like, who do I want to gamble on? I'll gamble on Corey Kluber because that's new to me. And I don't want to gamble on James Paxton anymore. Like, I've been burned by that for two years in a row, so I'm done with it. So fine, I'll take a gamble on Corey Kluber in that sense. Yeah, okay, but... But he's thrown 30 innings since 2018. Right. Well, and also Paxton, do you think Paxton signs for $11 million? He's probably going to sign for five or six million bucks. I, that's my guess. I have no clue. He's a Scott Boris guy. Like Boris somehow pulls rabbits out of his asses every year and gets way more money for his guys than we ever thought possible. Maybe. But to me, there's a, um, I don't know, 
he's a little bit more of a proof that he's healthy, I guess, even though he just gets injured even when he's healthy. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think because if you look at Kluber's injuries since so the last two years, he fractured his right arm in May of 2019 uh, in a game against the Marlins. Then he was trying to rehab, but he wasn't able to get back and he was shut down for the season. Surprisingly, Cleveland picked up his $17.5 million option at the end of the 2019 season and then immediately flipped him to Texas as is sort of like a salary dump. They didn't really get many decent players for him. They just wanted to offload his money. And Texas was taking a similar gamble the Yankees are currently taking. Hey, what are we going to get out of this guy who was a Cy Young caliber pitcher? All Texas got was one inning. So that didn't work out for them. Now you say, okay, he's a further year removed from that and a year injury. older and a year older. Fine. But so for the Yankees, though, you're like, okay, well, we're also going to take a gamble on him for 10 or 11 million bucks, which puts us up against the luxury tax, which doesn't give us a ton of flexibility because clearly staying under the luxury tax is a priority for us. So let's gamble. Why are you gambling with a, a world when you're trying to win a World Series? Why are you gambling? Well, again, you know, I think one of the things that I that I talked myself into last episode was that the opportunities to get better right now, significantly better to say, okay, we've we've went for it and now we're contending for a World Series. Those opportunities are limited as we as we as we speak, especially limited if they are going to be staying underneath the tax threshold of 210 or you know going to the next So one. then wouldn't you rather just not sign Kluber and have 14 million under the luxury tax to add at some point over the season? So they're they're taking an opportunity now where they have one. We don't know what's going to be an opportunity at yeah, the, at no the trade deadline. We don't know what that's going to be like. So it's hard Could to just nobody. say I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Nobody wants to hear that shit either. And like, no. oh, we have this money, but we just want to make sure we're able to be doing something if in case the right person came about. I agree. I'm just posing both scenarios. But you look at different different opportunities as well for guys that are potentially um, available in a trade market. Let's use the the guy who's been in the rumors all over Twitter. I, I didn't even see it before we talked on our last episode, and I brought him up. Yeah, you mentioned, but he's also been rumored for like two. He's been rumored seasons. for a while, but it was it was hot and heavy on uh, on Twitter recently. Uh, Luis Castillo. Okay, so a guy like that who has a controllable salary doesn't. It's not a huge hit on the um, on to the uh, the the tax threshold in the way that it's uh, spread across. So a guy like that does it really matter when you trade for him? Even if you were to sign a guy like Kluber, you make some room, you figure some things out, you you you, you move this here, you move this there, you shove some stuff underneath a couple things, and now boom, you can get you can still make a trade for a Luis Castillo. And oh, by the way, you still have Corey Kluber. So I still think there's opportunities to do this and. If it's not Castillo, for Cashman to identify players like that where they can make a move, have somebody that's controlled longer, the salary is better for what they're trying to do with the um, luxury tax, and they're giving up you know, probably more top prospects and just overpaying for someone like that. So I still think there's an opportunity there. Yeah, I, I the... the- Spending the dollars was, there was no guarantee. Spending the dollars, that's where the problem was, trying to significantly get better. Unless you're going Trevor Bauer, there's not a ton of opportunities to say, oh yes, we're better. um, Guaranteeing the 11 million is a little bit interesting though for for Kluber. And I have no clue what kind of contract he was looking for. Maybe he would not sign a multi-year deal. But you could have actually fudged around with the, the tax threshold if you gave Kluber, say, 
4 million bucks for this year with a team option for or a vesting option for next year where if he hit certain incentives he gets like 20 million bucks next year or something like that. I mean you probably and, wouldn't and, been you probably wouldn't have landed him because he was you know we don't know That's what, what I'm saying. He may, maybe he just doesn't want to do that but he's 36 years old so even if he pitches well this year he's not going to sign a multi year deal next year is he? I don't know. Two year deal maybe. I mean if he sh- if he shows that he can do well though uh, I mean he would he would put himself in a position. I guess he might least, get the J Hap contract, right? Yeah. If he pitches a, a, a three-year a deal, good, two three solid deal. season, he might get the J Hap deal. Maybe that's his plan. Um, but getting to the Luis Castillo rumors, which were, if you if you logged on Twitter at a certain hour over the weekend, the Yankees had traded for Luis Castillo, and then if you logged on Twitter like twenty five minutes later, everyone who's everyone was calling the reports bullshit. So whatever. Uh, but reportedly the Reds were asking for Glaber Torres as the centerpiece in a package for Luis Castillo. And Brian Cashman promptly hung up the phone as he should have for, for uh, Luis Castillo. There was also rumors that Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier could have been in a package going to Cincy. It doesn't sound like any of this is going to happen though. It doesn't sound like it. The, um, the Cincinnati GM also shit all over these, these reports as well. But uh, I would do that too if I got hung up on when I was asking for the people I wanted. You know, I, I feel like everybody's asking for Glaber Torres every single time they they make a call to uh, Cashman, just like seeing if he's sleeping at that moment or you're just like off his game and like yeah yeah sure, it's it's not going to happen. Seem pretty pretty uh pretty abundantly yeah, clear maybe. that that's not going to happen. I would think really, that's really abundantly clear for Glaber Torres. <laughs> I, yeah, I would. I mean, sure, there's a couple players in the league that Brian Cashman would do that for, but it's it's certainly not Luis Castillo. Yeah, so I think at this point, it doesn't seem like it's happening. Clint Frazier uh, did the fifth the year tweet. in a row he's rumored in offseason trades. Yep, and him and and Duhar being packaged together is a is a popular one as well. That was the original Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole. deal, wasn't it for Pittsburgh? Yep, which yep. was a different Garrett Cole at the time. Uh, Head, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty on that one. Yeah. Totally different one. Uh, our guy Neil was was uh, was using that as a comp, and I I don't see that as a comp because it was a different player. So when you're looking at what he was in Pittsburgh and what Luis Castillo is currently, it's pretty damn close, to be honest. If not leaning a little towards Castillo, aren't you a little gun shy though of Cashman making a move for another guy like Luis Castillo just because of it, it not working out? the last multiple, like five times that he's tried to do it. Sonny Gray, Michael Pineda, James Paxton. Like it, it just, Luis Castillo would have been another one of those guys. I don't know, man. Shoot or shoot. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't be shy. You got to go. You got to shoot. Like in, all in, I'm saying when, is when you look at all these I'm things nervous. in a vacuum, Michael Pineda should have freaking worked out. <laughs> it should have worked out. The guy has all of the ability in the world. I, I just didn't. I still would have made that trade. Uh, today, looking back, like yes, of course, yes, you make that trade. He, he has. You know what the scary thing like is, horse. Michael like, Pineda. He's a number one. Michael Pineda worked out the best out of any of those. Yeah, that's crazy. You're right, Sonny Gray. I made that trade again too. Like it was a no-brainer. What they gave up for Sonny Gray was nothing. James Caprillion. What, what, is he? Is he still playing baseball? I know. I'm being facetious. Jorge, he's Jorge, still, Jorge Mateo, Mateo actually has turned Caprillion, into a decent player. And um, Fowler. Right. Point is, I would do that again. I would. I would do that again. Brian Cashman would do that again as well. I just, it it sucks that all of the guys that he has gone after have not worked out. And it's not because they necessarily misidentified 
talent. It's that uh, in Sonny Gray's case, they misidentified personality fit in New York. In Michael Pineda's case- Or just the way that they handled it as well, because you know, at this point, it's impossible to not say that Rothschild and the way that they approached the 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 whole Sunny Gay Sunny Gay Sunny Gray project was Sunny Gate was wrong, right? Like they had a the whatever the the communication between them, the the game plans, all of the approach was just wrong. It was wrong, but at the same time, the player can't just completely fold. Correct. When, it, it, there's when fault the on both sides. There's fault on both sides. Pineda, you could look at and and say. Yeah, you could you could identify that one as a as a as a miss. Um, there were some injury. There were no. You know, you know what? I actually think that's a successful trade, especially considering what Jose's happened Montero. with Jesus Montero. He was picking fights I mean, with he, ice cream guys. Yeah, he's throwing ice cream sandwiches at his third yeah. base coach. Like that guy just completely <laughs> fell apart. At least Michael Pineda made starts for you. Yes. When you look, but uh, also Jesus Montero was like the the guy. It's really hard to gauge like what kind of a prospect he actually was. Understanding that he was the Yankees' number one prospect for a long time, but their Yankees no, he was on he garbage. was he was decently ranked within Major League Baseball. Oh no, he was a big prospect. He was a big prospect uh, that just did not work out. He was he was always going to be an offensive guy, not really a catcher. And yeah, was he kind of like Gary Sanchez before Gary Sanchez? He was more hyped than Gary. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Harry Sanchez was. Jesus Montero oh, had a lot that. of fanfare, man. He, we were, we, he was supposed to be like the I guy. guess because there was literally nobody else that we were just like, oh my God, Jesus Montero is actually can actually hit the ball. Like he came up and actually makes contact. And we haven't seen that from a Yankees prospect in, in Since years. Rob Refsnyder. No, this, he was before Rob Refsnyder. <laughs> I know. I'm saying he was the, the contact guy, the four, a contact guy. Do you remember the game? He hit two opposite field home runs at Yankee stadium. It was late in the season. I want to say like 2011. And I was like, Oh my God, the Yankees just found their next catcher for a decade. Yeah. Well, I mean, you'd, you'd make that statement after uh, early success and you see the guy going deep. He was hyped for it, but didn't have the uh, the bulls to, to to make it in the major leagues. But yeah, I, so look, you're going after a guy like Castillo or I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Cashman's just scouring the league right now looking for controllable, controllable players and going after that trade because they do have the trade pieces to make a deal. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? We've all gone through a lot over the past year plus with COVID. Well, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. 
There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in your area, and it's available worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living happier today. You can visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily to see for yourself. Visit betterhelp.com slash bronx21. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals. We have a great special offer for our listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash bronx21. One more time, betterhelp.com slash bronx21. And, and that's what I want to talk about for, for the remainder of the episode is that what do the Yankees have? What do, what are they capable of pulling off understanding their goal of staying under the luxury tax with before spring training or before the season starts? So we're talking about full salary. Yeah. Who knows what they're going to be going to do mid season. That's going to the, the season and how it's progressing and how long the season is, all that kind of stuff is is going to factor into mid-season acquisitions. I'm talking about now, as we sit here, it's January 19th. Spring training is supposed to start mid-February, and then the season is supposed to start April 1st. What can they realistically do in that time to improve this team even more? Because this team, as it stands right now, is not good enough to win a World Series. The team at the beginning of it- last year at this time was better than the team this year. Well, it was better on paper. It was so on that, paper that, is what we're talking about. All we do is on paper. I know, but, but but James Paxton was a guy that we were looking at as as getting excited about potential. Well, no, because he got injured. But the the on paper there are different things. So on paper, yes, when we see the names, we're like, okay, we can get excited about that. That's that's a, a better team because that is what it is on paper. But when you're looking at what the Yankees have right now, it's just they haven't been in this type of position because there's a lot of what ifs, but also. They're not injury what-ifs. There are those too, but there are young guy what-ifs on the pitching side. And we just haven't been in that situation in a while where we're counting on, you know, a good amount of young guys to 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 come out and pitch. And I think that that's a better unknown than than the injury side of things. Granted, injuries can happen to anybody, but the uh, fact that Clark Schmidt has yeah. the ability to be a number three guy, we haven't seen anything from him uh, as far as like the, the, the potential. We've seen him flash. That to me is a um, a more optimistic upside, a more optimistic uncertainty than uh, going into the season with you know a, a guy that's like Corey Kluber, who we've seen it before, but we don't know if he can pitch for long enough time for even get close to that. The last time the Yankees went into a season with this many question marks as far as young guys go in a rotation was two thousand and eight when they went into a rotation with a young Phil Hughes, a young Jabba Chamberlain, and a young Ian Kennedy. And that didn't work out too well. I'm not saying this is going to be a repeat of 2008. I hope not because they didn't make the playoffs in 2008. But you cannot just, you can't even assume one of them is going to pan out. Well, I think Jordan Montgomery is, is, uh, if we're talking about him and lumping him into that category, he's, he's I'm not lumping him in. I'm you're lumping not. You're, so Debbie, you're, you're good with Jordan Debbie, Montgomery as, as a, a guy that we could depend on. Yes, he a is year a, out, a, two years out from Tommy John. 
I'm confident that Jordan Montgomery can give you a very, very solid season and you can rely on him to be a very steady 3-4 in the rotation. He's not going to be a number two, though. Right. Yeah, I mean, sure, that's fine. Okay, so then we're looking at the back right now and... um, Garcia, uh, Schmidt are the two young question marks. And I think Schmidt is even more of a question mark than Garcia just because he's not really pitched in the major leagues yet. Based on skills. Uh, what do you mean? No. What do you mean based on skills? I mean, coming up and and what we've seen of him so far, Davey Garcia, you know, there are people that are, would say that, you know, durability is a concern for him. Um, sure. But, the skill but I saw, I saw Davey Garcia with my own eyes pitch good major league starts. I saw that. Yes. We haven't seen Clark Schmidt do that yet. Right. So we until he does in that. a vacuum be good, but yes. Until Clark Schmidt pitches on a major league mound, a good start. That's a, that's a huge unknown. Sure. Okay. At least Debbie Garcia can take uh, a handful of of regular season starts last year into next year as building blocks. Clark Schmidt is starting from from the ground floor, trying to work up. Debbie Garcia is a couple steps ahead of him. I, I just don't mind that because if he if he's just not that good, uh, then you know we have time to figure it out, especially with a young guy. And we know he's got good stuff. We know Eric Kratz was just gushing over the two of them, both of them being major league ready, gushing. Gushing, I, gushing. Know, I, gotta love Eric Kratz, but I, I'm not so sure I could trust his opinion because I just feel like he's a I love everybody kind of guy. And no matter what, he's going to have a nice thing. He's going to have positive things to say about everyone he meets. Uh, Clark Schmidt has, has risen the ranks. He's overcome the injury. He's proved that he's healthy. It does feel like this is the year for him to take the step. Like now is the time. He's done. He's done what they needed him to do in the minor leagues. He's proven that he can come back healthy and and be that you know stable guy in a in a rotation. He just needs to now do it on the the major league level. And there's a skill level thing there. And I think the Yankees believe that he has this, the ability, the skill level for his pitching and those numbers to translate into the major leagues. And maybe he gets off to a rocky start. But if we're looking at a guy like that who's staying healthy, running the course, you know, getting out there throwing six innings. I'm fine with being patient with him. If we're going to be patient with Corey Kluber on an innings from an innings perspective, we should be we should be patient from uh, a youth's perspective with uh, with Clark Schmidt and Davey Garcia no. because they're going to be bumps. But we yeah no if, no definitely patience and, because and two I months in they're no them, longer rookies. You let them go through. Well, Garcia is not a rookie. Whatever they're close going enough. into next year. But, but yeah, you let them go through their growing pains this year. That's fine because I think you can still win regular season games with that. My concern, again, goes back to the playoffs because I don't care about the regular season anymore. But the concern comes from just because you haven't season. seen it. That's it. That, that's it, right? Like It's just because you haven't seen it from those guys. That's it. Yes. It's not the fact that they're a, a young guy and we want a young guy to be good and we want a young guy to take that next level and we want a young guy to have the opportunity to to take it and now they have it. Here we go. Let's go. Do I do I want to be because we haven't seen it? But do we want to be impatient for for maturity to happen and for them to actually figure things out and go through the motions there, or do we have to like suffer through four innings, five innings of Corey Kluber three runs because that's what we're going to see? Which is worse? All day long, I'll take the young guy. I'm fine with having a couple young guys that you roll the dice with and see what you can get on the upside. But when you don't have steady guys other than one pitcher, Garrett Cole, that's a huge concern. Everyone else is a roll of the dice. They have four roll of the dice pitchers in their starting rotation of five. 
And my response to that is I don't see anybody on the on the market not named Trevor Bauer that's going to come in and alleviate those concerns. That's where we are. No, there were probably guys. So I think a, a mistake was not going harder after Lance Lynn. Oh, for because sure. that would have fit in beautifully with in the luxury tax. He was making $10 million this year. You just don't pay Corey Kluber his $11 million and you get Lance Lynn. I'd much rather have that. And give up prospects. Yeah. So you're you're, you're trying to win a World Series. I, I agree with you. This, I, I, I thought Lance Lynn was a perfect fit for this roster. He's a perfect fit. He's a durable guy. We know what he is. He smells like hot dogs. It's a good deal for the New York Yankees. That, that kind of guy you can rely upon. That's a hoss. Give me that guy. He doesn't have to be the number one, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball, which he was showing last year, but he can Two be- Two years in a row he was showing that. He can show that he's, you know, a a, a good pitcher, uh, a, a two, three guy. That's that's what you would need him to be in this, in this rotation. And he fits that beautifully. And if you get more than that, great. And that's a guy who's shown it more recently. So right. yes, I do agree with that. I think that's that's one of the, that's a miss on- uh, on their end. Although you could argue that Cashman did identify that talent correctly the first time. And then didn't. And then, and then screw it up. And then he wasn't sticking to his guns with it, I guess, or got fooled on Jay Happ. Who the hell knows? That's, I, don't, I can't go back down that that path. With but there's Hap. nobody else. Like Taiwan, Taiwan Walker is not going to make me feel better. No, but also the Padres just traded for Joe Musgrove. Like, Yes, the was, trade market. I'm talking about the free agency market. The trade market. So why is aren't the Yankees heavy? Why aren't the Yankees more active on the trade market? Maybe, maybe to your point that uh, maybe Cashman is a, a little gun shy in that, and they're just identifying these situations. And I don't know talent. They don't agree with you know what was given up for Musgrove, and they they didn't want to go to that level, or they don't. I don't know what their reasons are. <laughs> it's clearly uh, they're. they're I, you know, if Cashman, I'm sure Cashman's having conversations with the GMs that are making these guys available. And for whatever reason, whether it's a, a deal that's not as good or they don't believe in the player, they're not there. So you got to believe it, that that this Castillo rumor mill has some some legs to it, right? There, there's smoke. There's usually fire. So there were conversations. Yeah, that could come had. back around. It could come back yeah. around. Uh, uh, until the playoffs are so far away. But we sit here today. It's not even February, and we know the Yankees don't have enough pitching. Maybe that'll change between now and October. But if it doesn't change between now and October, we're going to be sitting here seven months from now talking about the same shit. The same thing that that keeps biting this team in the ass year after year. Why do they keep getting bounced from the playoffs? Because they can't make contact enough and because they don't have any starting pitching year after year after year. Do you see an opportunity here where the Yankees identify the fact that they can't stay under this tax threshold and then make a move? Or because let's say that let's say for instance, if they if they were to trade Clint Frazier for uh, a Luis Castillo or another player like Luis Castillo, right? Now you have a void in left field. You can do one of two things: you can stay under the luxury tax, go get Brett Gardner, and have him platoon out there again with whoever Talkman and you know, enter a player here. You can, you could do that, right? Your offense will still probably be good. Your defense will be, be fine with, with Gardner out there. Or you, you could go after, you know, a couple guys that are still on the market. There's a George Springer still out there. Um, your boy Brantley still out there who would fit that beautifully in this team beautifully. So there's, there's opportunities still to go over the tax threshold to make the team better. Do you think they're willing to do that? No, because I think that's what, if they were willing to do it, they wouldn't have signed DJ LeMahieu to six years. Part of the Kluber deal, though, with the eleven million, is making me think that maybe 
maybe for the right opportunity that they would because they're so then close. Why to do it. you even bother signing DJ LeMahieu to six years? That's not a smart. If you don't care about going over the luxury tax now, you do not want to have to pay him fifteen million dollars in two thousand and I told you this before. It doesn't matter if it's four years or six years. You just you don't have you. He doesn't have to play if he's not good at that point. Like who cares? You're still paying okay, the same so amount of money. Eat, then you're just eating fifteen million dollars on your luxury tax in two thousand twenty-five. I d- still believe that the the deal is spread over six years, but that's not based on what the total amount was. I think if if DJ said no, I'm not doing six years the deal would probably be pretty goddamn close to four or five years. Same amount of money. I don't think the money so, would have changed too much. For whatever reason, he was playing cons- ball with the way that it spread out. It very, It's very conspicuous that his deal lines up so they were able to add Corey Kluber and still be just under the luxury tax. This You cannot tell me this is not premeditated. No, I, I look, I think that's, that's a very huge possibility. My thing, my other side playing devil's advocate to look at another opportunity here, because that's what we're doing, is saying, hopefully the Yankees don't want to handcuff themselves that much by signing Corey Kluber, a guy who just came off of a shoulder injury, hasn't pitched in two years, and is going to be 36 years old. Hopefully they didn't just handcuff themselves because of that, you know, roll of the, the dice with an old man. So back in 2017, the Yankees did not want to pull the trigger on Justin Verlander because one of the reasons was because they didn't want to take on his salary and they wanted to eventually reset their luxury tax. I don't know if they will be that gun shy again this year if there's a move where they could add just money and get a really quality player to add to a World Series run. However, I don't expect them between now and the start of the regular season to add payroll to what they currently have. I think they're going to try and subtract payroll. Okay, that's possible. I mean, I think it seems like they made they made their two moves, and um, uh, uh, barring a trade, which doesn't add payroll, in my opinion, the way that the the type of player they're going to go after is not really going to add payroll. In fact, it might reduce it, depending on who you're getting rid of, right? Not by a lot, but some of the arbitration numbers. Well, I mean, if you got rid of Frazier, he only makes two point one million dollars. Yeah. Voigt could be a trade candidate. He makes four point seven million dollars. Yep. So I mean, you're looking at those two guys as probably the ones that that I would I would circle. Urshela, People have also said Gio Urshela, but I would much rather trade Luke Voigt than Gio Urshela at this point. I don't think Gio Urshela has much trade value to be honest. But I mean, he's a good player on your team, but it's not like a a big. It's not a. I don't think he's a big trade candidate. I don't think that value actually crosses. I don't think Voigt, Voigt or neither Voigt or Urshela have good trade value. Voigt a little bit more, but. But yeah, the uh, especially if there's a DH, first basemen for, generally don't have good trade value. That said, there's just not a lot of money to be shed. So yes, there's not. There can, so what are you going to do? Eat half of Adam Adovino's contract? Wouldn't you rather just see if he can turn into another a quality reliever again? Like, because yeah. they also need bullpen help. It's not like this team is stacked in the bullpen anymore. They kind of have gotten thinned out in the bullpen a little bit. Chapman's a year older. Britain's a year older. Chad Green's a year older. They lost Tommy Canely. They have they lost uh, Jonathan Holder. Some may say addition by subtraction. I do think you're, that the we're going to be talking look. about Johnny Lasagna as like, oh, can he be a bridge guy? Can Johnny Lasagna be a swingman? Can uh, can uh, Luis Sessa be a swingman? Can Michael King be a swingman? But if their plan is still f- uh, five innings out of your starter, four innings out of your bullpen, I don't know if that's going to hold up over the course of a season. It has never h- held up before. 
How's that? So now it's going to hold up with one less bullpen arm? Well, I, so I think there's definitely some opportunities on the current roster that they're going to fill. I, I, I think that they're... I don't think that they see the bullpen as a, a a major place that they have to improve. I think I don't think it's a major. Luis place Sessa, they have to I think, improve. can take a step up. I think he's been uh, much better than uh, you know any fan in ever will give him credit for. I think that they uh, they also. I think Nick Nelson showed pretty well last year, and I could see him taking another step up. I I think that they they are going to look at him and give him an opportunity. Loisaga, they've really got to figure out whether it's. You know him limiting him to two two innings. Him going one inning. I think that, that that's exactly what they should do. One inning guy, perfect three pitches, maybe just two pitches, and go out there and dominate. And then Domingo Herman's another guy potentially where you could see him coming out of the bullpen. So I want to talk, I want to before we wrap up, uh, we're just uh, we're just really focused on the Kluber news for this episode. I want to do one mailbag question, and it kind of talks about what we're we're doing right now with the rotation in the bullpen. It's from Andrew Sharrick from Fairfax, Virginia. Is that by you? No. That's how he says. Hey guy, he says. Hey guy. First off, thank God DJ LM is coming back to the Bronx. Longtime listener, first time mailbagger. I was reading an article on the Athletic about DH 2.0. The double hook, as Jason Stark dubbed it. The rule would attach the DH spot in your lineup with your starting pitcher, so a team would lose the DH when they take out their starting pitcher. My twofold question for you is, one, do you think this would be good for baseball and fix some of the concerns over pitcher use? And two, do you think this rule change would benefit or hurt the Yankees? I think this would bring a ton of excitement to the game and bring back the importance of the starting pitcher and keep teams like Tampa from using an opener three times per rotation. This is a rule that NL teams would love, AL execs would hate, but I think it would strike a compromise to see the DH in both leagues as well as maybe see a pitcher consistently pitch three times through the order. Um, and he says, for the Yankees, I actually think this rule would be terrible. At the moment, they are the only starter we have that uh, we can trust to pitch past, past the fifth inning is Garrett Cole. All I can see with this rule are four out of five days where Stanton only gets two at-bats because his soft tissue injuries are too great of a concern to play him in the field. And guys like Clark Schmidt and Michael King are not going to give seven innings consistently in 2021. So in all, I think it's a great rule for baseball, but terrible short-term for the Yankees. I think he nailed it as far as if it's good for the Yankees. But I would actually am really intrigued by this rule. This is a good little uh, deviation from from what we've been thinking about here by uh, how to fix baseball. Yeah, this is interesting. So, who did this one? Jason Stark. Jason Stark. This so the is way like an original is, idea by him. To to be honest, I don't know. Okay. But you have a DH to start the game. But as soon as your starting pitcher comes out of the game, you lose the designated hitter. So your options are have the pitcher hit or do double switches for the rest of the game, which is what they would end up doing. But it's still a deterrent from taking your starting pitcher out. It's not a double later. switch for the rest of the game. It's uh, you lose the DH. Oh yeah, it, it is. So you you have to remove every the time guy. the pitcher comes up, you would have to double switch. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I don't I don't hate it. The first this is the first time I've heard it. Uh and I, I kind of like it, to be honest. It does give you the the designated hitter in both leagues. I could see the National League people being okay with this because it's it's you know giving them an element of uh still making those changes. Theoretically, we don't have to look at pitchers hit if we didn't want to, right? There's an option right. there. And there's bringing a lot more strategy into the play and taking guys out. You just can't do it you know, at the drop of a hat, like everybody does now. So I, I actually really like this a lot. And I, I do agree <laughs> that it, it's shitty for the Yankees because the way that their roster is stacked out right now on the pitching side, on the rotation side specifically, it's not good. 
Not good. Um, no, great, but great would you sacrifice be- that in the short term to get this rule into baseball? I don't think they can do it immediately because I think this changes the way that a roster is uh, put together. So I think this would have to be something that would be, you know, another one of these like tests in the minor leagues, if, if minor leagues are a thing anymore. And then, and then, you know, implement uh, a year or two down the line because you definitely have to make adjustments for something like this. You, you, it could change the complexion of a roster. It could. Yeah. Another way, instead of, instead of just getting more starting pitchers that go deeper into games, you could just say, we're going to have bench players that can hit more. So we're basically going to pinch hit every time the pitcher comes up and still, you know, Clint Frater or, um, uh, for the Yankees, that's you after the see a lot more at bats out of Tyler in. Wade. Yeah. The, yeah. There's opportunities there. You'll have guys still that your bench players will maybe not be as uh, defensive, maybe not as many defensive prowess guys out there. No, because they're going to have to hit once that. a game. Rob Refsteiner might be able to get back in the league. This might be his opportunity <laughs> here. He could do both. This is a great. He's loving this. So I, I look, well, I, I like it. It's intriguing. It is. Of the the newest baseball, like little tweaks that we've heard over the past couple of years, I feel like this is by far the best because I haven't immediately shit on it or been been offended by it or like hated it. I'm like, ah, it feels like baseball. It does feel like baseball. It feels like a like a, a natural type of move that is blending. Because the two right leagues. now, managers are like, oh, he's at 85 pitches and the third time through the order is coming up. Pull him, no Done. questions asked. But this would add some doubt to that decision. Yeah. No, I like it. I like that wrinkle. I like the fact that they would have to think about that twice. And not just because there's a a, a brick wall at, you know, 75 pitches, 80 pitches, whatever it is, or X amount of times through the rotation or through the uh, lineup, then they have to go. This definitely adds another wrinkle to it, especially in tight games, especially deeper into the season when there are more implications. Um, there's a lot more strategy and I, I like it. I like it a lot. But you know what? This would probably never get passed because there will will argue, oh, this is not good for player health. Why? Some would argue they, they, that 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 throwing more, these guys being conditioned to throw a little bit more is actually very good for for player health. Rather than I'm being not a bunch arguing of, with that, I just think that's not the trend of of. But it's adding of, a DH, so it's adding jobs. You'll probably oh, in this case, totally. you'll probably add roster spots too. I would assume. Well, if you add roster spots, then that doesn't really help the rule because then you can just add more bench players and get around this whole thing and just pinch hit every time. It's still another tweak to it. I mean, I don't think that they would keep the... I think they would have to expand the active roster by... by Like the 26th man would stay. Well, it's staying anyway. It's going to stay forever because they snuck all this shit in in 2020. You know that. That is the biggest... That is the biggest fraud of this whole thing. They snuck all this shit under our noses while we were staring at it Saying that there's under our noses. No, we said it at the time. We're like, oh, we're, this is all going to stay. I'm talking about in the collective fan base uh, in, of baseball fans. Yes, we were. Uh, that was one of the first things I said was watch out. They're trying to implement this stuff now so that they can just keep it here forever. It's never going to go away. Yeah. Now there's a precedent. That's what's happening. So, yeah, um, I could see something like this happening because 26 fans probably going to stay forever. Uh, well, well, we have a couple minutes, so I'll do the next mailbag question. But I do like that that little wrinkle rule um, from Stark. Uh, so thanks, Andrew, for the question. This one's from Daniel. Amazing news to wake up to in Australia this morning with DJ and then Kluber signings. Over the course of Yankees history, second base has argu- arguably been our weakest position uh, for an all-time legends point of view. 
Considering DJ will now likely be an eight-plus-year Yankee, how many more seasons will he need to stay as a primary second baseman, and what would his production need to be to be considered for an all-time Yankees team at second base? Willie Randolph gets no respect. I swear to God, he's disrespected more than any player. Joe Gordon's named, in the Hall of Fame. Not named uh, Bernie Williams. That's that's within relative recent history of... of Willie Randolph's still around the organization, for God's sakes. The guy's guy just gets shit on. He was a he was a co cap He was a, technically a captain of the New York yeah. Yankees, and he gets shit no, on. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he just unfortunately the bulk of his career came in, in the like 80s. the the eighties. So it's just that's the forgotten decade, unfortunately, especially yeah. of recent memory, because the Yankees won every decade except the eighties. That's and yet, the two thousand tens. DJ LeMay, who has the opportunity to cement himself on that on that that the big board of, of second baseman, no doubt. And, and potentially a top, especially if he wins a championship, uh, he's that type of player. And I do think that these numbers are going to translate over, over the years, even as he gets older, you know, obviously maybe not to the same extent, but I think I've said this a hundred times, his game plays, even when you get old, the way that he plays, I could see him doing well as he ages. Say he plays the rest of this contract and four or three out of the six years, he's still great production. And then he, you know, he teeters off in the second half of the contract, but the Yankees do win a world series over the next six years. And DJ LeMahieu is a valuable member of that team. I think we'll look back at him in 20 years, kind of like the way we look back at Tino Martinez right now. In that sort of vein. Maybe. I mean, he, he's, well, Tino won immediately. Tino was a different type of player because of the way that he came over, one, and who he was replacing. I think there's a big difference right. there. DJ wasn't just replacing Yankees. anyone. Yeah. So he... But um, we all love Tino. Tino's unanimously loved among Yankees fans. Yes. But we're never going to say he's like the all-time Yankee. He's not the all-time great Yankee first baseman. He's not the best Yankee of the 90s or the early 2000s. And I think that's how LeMahieu will be. I disagree. He's not the all-time greatest. But DJ LeMahieu's putting up numbers. If he puts up uh, these similar numbers for three more years, that's five straight years. Okay, if he finishes top three MVP for the next three straight years, that's different. But frankly, I don't expect him to do that. I mean, I don't know. I expect him to be good, but not top three MVP. Okay, fine. But but similar, I, I don't see him tearing off too much. I, I think he's going to put up very, very good numbers for at least the next three years. And then I don't think the numbers, you know, in years uh, beyond three are going to be bad. I just don't think they're probably going to be as good. I mean, at some point, yes, his basket going to get a little slower. He's not going to be the same type of guy. But I think that the way that he plays in the, you know, the motions that he goes through, the stance, the, the, the type of swing that he has, the way he approaches the game, like he can, that can translate. So I think he definitely has the opportunity if they win a World Series, that's a key piece of this. He has to win. If he does win and he's a key contributor and he puts up these types of numbers, yeah, he's going to be up there with the greats. There's no doubt. But he's yeah, coming, I'm sure. Uh, what's, what is interesting, what you said about Tino and the comparison there, he's coming over in an interesting time uh, in the way that the Yankees haven't won in a while and are looking to, you know, take advantage of these uh, of the young guys that are on the team. It's a little two years later. So if he were to win that first year, that would probably be a better comp, but he's still among these these guys who have the ability to win. So he could still move this Yankees team uh, into, if they win a championship, into another conversation of great Yankees teams. Yeah, I was just trying to think of who from the 90s dynasty was on the team that like you're, it's impossible to find a Yankees fan that'll say something bad about the player, but he's also not unanimously thought of as like the greatest player on the team. 
And then that's where I landed on Tino. Tino, yeah. I mean, Paul O'Neill is kind of in that same in that same realm too, no? Paul O'Neill is loved yeah, by Paul the fan O'Neill, base. Paul O'Neill, I think, though, had a, a greater impact on the franchise than Tino Martinez did. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, they're both core guys, but O'Neill's a heart and soul guy too, which uh, it's hard. O'Neill to- was there also during the, the come up years. Yes. And he... he um, he was traded for Roberto, I mean, uh, by Roberto for Roberto Kelly, who was their center fielder. And um, it, I mean, Paul and Joe Torre talked about the like the fact one of the reasons Derek Jeter was not named captain before 2003 is because Paul O'Neill was there for most of the time, and and Paul O'Neill was in that clubhouse as almost like an unofficial captain. So actually, the the time frame does work better to a Paul O'Neill comp because he was there before they started winning. Wait, wait, did he get there in '94? 90, 93 was Paul O'Neill's first year. 94, he won the batting title. Yeah. And then, obviously, Ooh. he was... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that, when you're looking at the time... in a sh- Hold on. 94, short season. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. We're, we just, get, did we just, did we just... Did we just... I think, we, I think you just... I think this is a great call by you, actually. Now the more I think about this. Yeah. It's just Paul O'Neill is my all-time favorite player, and and I mean DJ LeMay, he was trending in that direction, is he not? He is Th- that type maybe of player. He just needs to start kicking water coolers and stuff. He I, just, see, I he, can't see him doing that. He, he, he does, does things in he his doesn't own way, need though. to be the same emotional guy. I mean, we've seen him get fired up after a big hit, but he what he does is he brings that level to the team, and everybody has to level up because of it. When whether he's doing it with the bat or an O'Neill's, you know, knocking out water coolers. No, but the but time, see, do, but the time frames, you actually line up. Yeah, and LeMahieu, he does things equally as as awesome in the sense that the entire team will be taking a picture on an airplane and DJ LeMahieu's not in the picture because he's in the back of the plane studying game footage. Yeah. So there's just different ways of showing it. All right. I think you nailed it with that uh, Paul O'Neill comp. As long as DJ continues production for the foreseeable future and does not fall off a cliff, which I definitely do not expect to happen um, hey, maybe we were a little down on this Corey Kluber signing. I, I'm overall, I'm happy that they they took the gamble. I just don't think that this you can say this gamble means their rotation is now in a good shape because I don't think that's the case. I, I agree with that. I'm I'm still I you know when I saw it I was like okay good, good. Like I would rather do it than not do it. I guess. Sure. And I don't want it to be a deterrent from going after somebody else. I just don't see that person who we're now being deterred from. I, I don't I don't see who that is. Like it does there's not a glaring person that's like, okay, now we can't go after him because we signed Corey Kluber. Like it doesn't really matter as much to me unless we're getting a couple pieces that are more of like a depth thing. And then you know what? I don't care that much because we have kids for depth and I'm okay with that. Because they're highly skilled kids. They're not just like random kids that are stretch fringe guys like these are top prospect kids that could absolutely take another another step so um do you do you remember i believe it was 2012 and Corey kluber was a rookie i want to confirm it was his rookie season um he was pitching for the uh cleveland baseball team and it was in cleveland and he hit Derek jeter in the head do you remember I for- that i forgot about that no yeah you're saying it's ringing a bell but i forgot about it uh, so I want to. Why did I'm, he I'm do pulling that? Pulling up his. It wasn't on purpose. It was just. It, it was. Son of a bitch. So 2012 was his rookie year. He made 12 starts. He actually pitched in two games in 2011. I'm I'm pretty sure it was 2012 that he was making a start for Cleveland in Cleveland against the Yankees, 
and he hit Derek Jeter in the head. I'll try and find the video and tweet that out. Um, anyway, that's it for this episode. Scott and I might be back later in the week uh, to do another quick episode. That's TBD. Follow us on Twitter at Yankees Podcast, and we will be talking about that. Maybe a live show upcoming. Thanks, uh, Daniel and Andrew, for submitting those mailbag questions. Scott, any last words? No, I think I just talked myself again into uh, feeling better about this team walking into the uh, the, the season. So, <laughs> by the time spring training starts, you're going to talk yourself into a World Series uh, victory, like you like World Series favorites. By the time spring training starts, the, the, the Dodgers still exist, and the Padres get like another top. Padres player are every freaking day. loading up. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. That that's going to be a bloodbath uh, for for those two, even though it won't matter until the playoffs because everybody makes the playoffs. But yeah, no, it'll be interesting, man. And I am feeling better about this team as we go on. And maybe that's just because I really just want real baseball and like normalcy. And and it's just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that. And the fact that I love kids, I love seeing the kids come up through the organization and pitch. Like that's fun. That's exciting for me. I, I'm looking forward to that. Fair enough. Talk to you guys next time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.